Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You play to win the game. You play to win the game. If they've achieved something good, I'll tell you what they've achieved. They've achieved something absolutely rotten. Then I just tell you, don't ask me that. Turn around, go back that way. Bye. See you. Hard to take. I don't think we deserve to lose that. But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. I cannot believe that somebody awarded him the man of the match. That was a total and absolute disgrace. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, then retire. Get out because it matters. Yes, hello and you're very welcome along to episode 3 of My Worst Day, this LMFM Sports Podcast with myself, David Sheehan. In case you missed the first two episodes, they were with Andy McEntee, the Meath manager, and then last week we spoke to Adrian Reid, the former Loud captain, who of course is still going strong with his club, Matic Rangers. Both men spoke about several games over the course of their careers that caused them some sleepless nights and indeed talked about what they learned from them and how they took those experiences forward and tried to learn and develop from them as well. Our guest today is Drogheda United manager Tim Clancy. Now, Tim spent most of his playing career in the UK. He started out with Millwall before dropping down into non-league and then going up to play most of his career in Scotland before returning to the League of Ireland to finish out his playing days and then, of course, went into management with Drogheda United. Now, unusually for this series, so far both of our previous guests have talked about several games across the course of their career when I talked to Tim about doing the podcast he had one very specific game in mind and we'll get into that with him very shortly indeed of course Strahd United revving up for the restart of the League of Ireland at the end of the month so no doubt they'll be really looking forward to getting back out onto the pitch and hopefully securing that promotion to the Premier Division so here it is episode 3 of My Worst Day with Strahd United manager Tim Clancy Now, Tim, when I mentioned doing this podcast to you, you were quite enthusiastic about doing it, but you'd one very specific game in mind. You might tell people about that. Uh, ah, listen, you've obviously have your bad days and you have um, results that don't go your way and maybe poor performances. Um, but I think uh, every player will probably have that one one day that sort of sticks in their mind and how it made them feel. Like I've had my playing career, I know exactly what what day it was. It's actually a game that we won as well. Um, but I've never felt so down um, after the game, just from the the way I felt in the game physically, um, how my body felt, and the performance um, I put on. I thought it was um, really poor, and um, I just just felt really really deflated after it, and um, to the stage where I didn't even want to leave the house. And what game was this? And what, where where was it? I was at Hibs and it was the Scottish Cup semi-final against Falkirk um, at Hamden. Uh, I think there was 25,000 Hibs fans travelled to the game and 
it's a big, really big occasion obviously um, I didn't have much luck in regards to the timing when I went to clubs or left clubs uh, when cup finals came around and this was a huge game to be playing in uh, Falkirk were a division below us as well so we were heavy favourites um, in that game and the first half was absolutely disastrous we were training down at half time and Lyle Taylor missed the one on one to make it 4-0 for Falkirk who were obviously a league below and um, it was a massive massive shock and I think plenty of the Hibs fans left at half time and thinking that the the game was gone and um, listen we turned it around in the second half and um, finished the game 3 all and went extra time and won 4-3 after extra time um, but I can remember leaving the leaving the stadium after the game um, um, with my wife and kids in the car and I just I genuinely I've never felt lower even though we just got to a Scottish Cup final and my wife was telling me sure listen yes one that was the main thing and I just felt that was probably the biggest stage that I played on and um, I just felt horrendous after the game and did you play the, the full match or were you taken off or how did it go no I played the, played the whole game played extra time everything Um like listen I knew I sort of knew when I signed for Hibs that that was going to be the the pinnacle of my career and for the size of the club um, Hibs is a massive club in Scotland and it's probably in that little um, little bracket below the old firm obviously are the two big big clubs and then um, below that you'd probably have the likes of Hearts, Hibs um, and Aberdeen maybe so like that's just the highest that I was going to play at and uh, it's, it's sort of it, it came from when I was at Motherwell as well I had a really good season at Motherwell and um, I got to move to Hibs off the back of that but in the last couple of months at Motherwell I'd developed this problem with my groins that I sort of knew um, I had and should have stayed at Motherwell I probably would have got sorted that summer but I went to Hibs and um, I battled through it for about six more months um, and then inevitably I ended up being injured for the best part of the next two years with the with the problem, so um, that sort of tied into how I was feeling on the day. That physically, I just I couldn't do what I wanted to do on the pitch, and um, it's probably the more frustrating thing knowing that that's the the biggest stage that I was going to play on, and um, physically, I just wasn't able to to do what I wanted to do. And was that part of why you you felt so bad? It was one thing performing, you know, not up to the level you would have wanted to, but also the fact that you knew that maybe this injury was going to possibly really impact on on the rest of your career. Um, I wasn't thinking the rest of my career, but uh, when I I went to Hibs first, it was... um, I think we were sitting top of the league in the last day of October. Celtic had a game game in hand or a couple of games in hand, I think it was, and they played the first first day in November, I think it was, and we were actually top of the league. Um, I think we'd beaten Dundee at home, or I think it was Dundee anyway, and it put us top of the SPL, and we were flying after 12 games, I think it was, and um, that was the last game I played then for, I think it was maybe 12 weeks, um, because the groin problem had got so bad that uh, I was actually, wasn't trained, and I was just playing games on a Saturday and going out and training on the Friday um, and getting through games and it got to the stage then on a Saturday we even bring an exercise bike into the dressing room and for the 15 minutes I just tick over on the bike and I wouldn't stop moving because if I stopped it would have affected my, uh, my stomach and my groins um, going out for the second half um, so I think that that I, I knew I had the problem I was, I was sort of fighting with it the whole season um, I played a few games here and there then after after the, the first 12 games we played and 
the semi-final of the of the cup was one of the games I played in and I think I sort of knew after that game then um, I probably wasn't going to play again that season I think I played one more game away to Kilmarnock the game got abandoned um, a spectator actually dropped out of a heart attack on the side of the pitch oh, yeah. so the game got abandoned at half time and that was the last game um, I actually played for Hibs and I missed out on the Scottish Cup final because I was struggling with the injury so I think it's just all, all in all I think I knew the the biggest sort of game for me probably in my career at that stage um, I just felt that I was, I was nowhere near able to perform to the level that I wanted to and you talk about not wanting to leave the house and everything else you know were you surprised this is obviously for people that aren't maybe that aware of your career trajectory I mean you had 60 over 60 games with Kilmarnock in the league about 26 30 games with Motherwell so you moved to Hibs you're, you're a fairly experienced player in the league at that stage you've been around a few years were you surprised by how, how hard that performance hit you? Because presumably you would have had up and down days in your career up until that point, but you, you're pretty experienced at this stage. So I would have thought you maybe would have been better, you know, not, not, not necessarily saying better able to deal with it, but you would have been used to handling kind of off days. More but, tools, yeah. Yeah. But, but, so was it surprising to you how, how badly that affected you that game? Um, I think this, people uh, probably don't realise the, the size of... Uh, the clubs that Hearts and Hibs are in Edinburgh um, and the other city in, in Glasgow or sorry in Scotland um, it'll be the Glasgow two teams like Celtic and Rangers will be the most supported teams in them cities like or towns um, Kilmarnock there would have been a good few Kilmarnock fans obviously but would have heavily supported by Rangers um, and a good few Celtic fans as well and as there's supporters buses coming from Dundee from Aberdeen Dean from the Highlands from everywhere to go to watch Celtic and Rangers every week but when you go to Edinburgh um, you'll very rarely see uh, Celtic and Rangers jerseys it's always Hearts and Hibs and the majority of kids and the majority of people in that city support Hearts or Hibs um, so it's quite unique in regards to Scotland that the support that they have um, so I, I knew I knew like obviously being around I lived close to the training ground it was yeah, you know all the people in the local shops and whatever else, and um, it's just I just knew I sort of like listen, we won the game, but we were very very poor. It wasn't just myself; um, collectively we were poor. But um, I just I felt that I couldn't perform to how I wanted to perform. And, um, I just it was just more just one of them ones that like I've had bad games. I understand that that's part of football. You move on, but I just felt that um, I wasn't able to show. Um, what I was capable of and that was for my whole time at Hibs as well I never really got a, a crack at it and I suppose that game just sort of came to me as the, as the biggest stage and <clears throat> I sort of felt that oh, I just can't really be facing anyone and talking to anyone and listening to them asking what went wrong and whatever else um, it's just a difficult one to sort of face up to and in the aftermath then as you said you were you were out for a while with the injury did did you kind of talk to anyone about it because I suppose the interesting thing about about football that you read a lot of uh, from players autobiographies is if a player is struggling um, and maybe things have changed a little bit in the modern era but you know certainly a few years ago if players were struggling with with their state of mind or whatever they weren't likely to talk to anybody in the club about it because you know as much as it's a team game it's a very individual sport in a lot of ways you're competing for a position with somebody you're looking for a contract that somebody else might be after so would you have felt inclined if you if you were feeling a bit down about things would there be anyone in the club that you would have spoken to or would you have just maybe tried to keep it to yourself and, and the family and deal with it that way uh, personally like, there was someone at Hibs you could go and speak to they brought in a, a sports psychologist fella um, the following year and that, listen that wasn't for me I he had group meetings and I thought that they were 
I thought they were putting thoughts into people's heads that weren't there. Um, at that fella now, I'm not speaking of all sports psychologists, but I think this fella was sort of creating issues. Um, he kept on going on about our home form, and I don't think anyone had a problem playing at home. But he kept on banging on about it as if it was, if it was, if it was an issue. And I think that did become an issue to some players then, playing in front of our own fans. And um, So that he created a problem that wasn't to, there to begin with? I felt, that's what I felt he was doing. I, I, he kept on going on about the pressures of playing in front of our own fans. And listen, for, I can only speak for myself, but talking to a few of the other players at Hibs at the time, we loved playing in front of uh, Easter Road. There was 16,000, 17,000 fans there. Um, we beat Celtic 1-0. Uh, the season before when Pat Fenlon was the manager um, just before Christmas I think it was or just after Christmas at Easter Road in front of our own fans in front of 18,000 and the place was rocking like played in a few Edinburgh derbies myself a home one at Easter Road again it was unbelievable the stadium sold out and um, played at Tynecastle as well which is a, which was a brilliant experience so I, I didn't think there was an issue there but um, I felt that at certain times that the <laughs> I kept on saying to some of the younger lads especially in the group and I don't know I can't say if I created an issue but I sort of I've approached the manager and said this is compulsory that we have to go and see this fella he said no this is what I'd prefer not to see him Um, and I know a number of the players did as well a lot of the lads still did see him and maybe they got benefits of it but um, no it's even after the game I played in the semi-final like uh, I was just deflated for a few days and if because if, if, I know it was, it was, we missed the uh, next few games I think it was an injury I can't remember when I played next but listen if there was a game on the Tuesday after the game on the Saturday I would have been absolutely perfectly fine to play in it as well um, it's not something that affected me long term around it's just that I can remember distinctly after that game <clears throat> um, just feeling very down even though it was a game that we won um, and it was a, a joyous occasion qualified for the um, Scottish Cup final Um mm. Lee Griffiths produced a, an unbelievable winner in uh, extra time for Hibs and it was an absolute cracker uh, from about 30 or 25 yards right into the top corner so uh, it was it was good memories as well from that day but I just felt that I didn't perform to the way I was uh, uh, the levels I was capable of um, and probably because of the physical side of things more than anything else the reason we were kind of looking to discuss these kind of situations was because obviously we're in this kind of um, weird situation at the moment with the with the virus and everything else and everybody's kind of cooped up in their homes and I'd say a lot of people are struggling um, mentally to get through it. So I kind of wanted to touch on the whole area of, of mental resilience and who better to speak to than, than sports people who've played at the top level. Going back to when you were a little bit younger, would you have considered yourself mentally tough when you were a young lad coming up through the game? Because as far as I'm aware, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you were over with Millwall and you were kind of down in non league and I think you signed for Kilmarnock on, on amateur forms so I'm assuming there was a, there was a serious amount of, of um, mental strength and, and determination there naturally for yourself or was it something that you had to work on? Um, listen I, I went to Millwall when I was 18 um, which was probably a couple of years older than a lot of other young lads that would leave this country to normally go over maybe 16 um, I think them two years of development uh, in maturity and even physically um, prepared me a hell of a lot more than maybe um, a younger lad going over after the junior cert or uh, at 16 years of age um, I was at the stage where I'm the second youngest of eight children and I was used to brothers and sisters as soon as they finished school heading off to college and moving out anyway so when I got to that age of 18 I was just having to move out and go over to England rather than maybe Galway or Waterford or wherever they were going to university so it was sort of natural progression in, in, in my family to see that 
my older siblings um, moving out at a young age and just getting on with their life so I think that sort of never really affected me in regards to the, um, the mental side of things of moving away and being resilient I suppose and being um, mentally strong and going to a different country and playing football uh, again um, I was in a, a club that I thought Millwall was unbelievable experience and there was about 10 or 12 Irish fellas at the club at the time and that's a brilliant thing to get settled but it's probably not a great thing to, um, for the football side of things because we were probably getting up to a lot more than we should have been um, again you're left to your own devices from 1 o'clock in the day until 9 o'clock the next morning and instead of sitting in the bedroom um, watching the TV or watching DVDs or listening to music we got out and we probably didn't eat the right foods and went down and played snooker and walked about and probably didn't get as much rest as we should have and probably drank a bit more than we should have as well but um, I suppose that was the benefit of that was it kept us happy being away from home and the negative was probably the football side of things so when Millwall sort of drifted apart um, and I wasn't looking at oh sorry when sort of drifted away from the football side of things and it was coming to the end of my contract and we ended up leaving Millwall um, my wife my girlfriend at the time she was over as well she says listen just give it another couple of years in non-league to see if you get back into it and should you get to maybe 23 or so um, if nothing's happening sure we'll, we'll move back home and we can we can go again from there so um, I went to fishing as well and they gave us a, an apartment to live in um, and decent enough wages for non-league that was able for us to survive on and I played 100 games um in non-league and I know it's, it's probably not a, a brilliant level but it made me mature as a footballer and physically and um, I got into that three o'clock on a Saturday mentality where you had to get a result and then when obviously I came to Kilmarnock then um, I knew that if I got a second chance playing football I was going to be a lot more professional and um, dedicated than I was uh, first time around. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And, you know, you, you got that move. Um, did you sort of see, even at that stage, you talked about how you kind of 
you plugged away in on you got the move to Kilmarnock but would you have seen lads you know who maybe for whatever reason didn't have the the kind of the resilience and the mental toughness to, to persevere who would have just drifted away from the game and, and for some reason just didn't you know just weren't suited to it whereas you kind of went on and, and blossomed and had a very good career up in Scotland Yeah, I, I, one of the best players I've ever played with was a fella. Um, I played at a Millwall, um, Charlie Hearn, his name was, and I think as a 15-year-old, he was brought into a training camp for England 21s, maybe 15 or 16, and he made his debut at Millwall at 17. And um, his dad passed away, I think, when he was 17, and that affected him massively. And um, I know he got he got in trouble with a fight outside a, a nightclub or a pub um, in and around that time, and I think it was a big, huge court case and. It sort of affected him big time and um, he then went on loan to Northampton and uh, from Millwall and played there for half a season or so and I think he was offered a couple of contracts from teams up north but because he'd always lived down in around London um, he ended up opting to go non-league and he just went down that route and played non-league football and I think Charlie was a phenomenal footballer and I think it's just he probably got to the stage where he says he doesn't want to move away from home that's not for him um, and he wants to be close to his family and just play football and get whatever out he could whereas I think with the Irish lads we're away from home anyway so if we're in London or Liverpool or Glasgow or Southampton wherever it is up and down the UK it makes no difference we're away from home anyway so it's probably a benefit to us that we were, we were sort of um, got that experience from a young age and uh, we never really had a home away from home and um, you certainly do see other people then they get a knock and they just prefer maybe not to put themselves in that position again where if they get another knock that it just it might affect them massively and uh, you see them sort of drift away from the game Was that something that you ever considered I know, I know you said the, the non-league was kind of maybe a last throw of the dice and, and see what comes out of that but do you think that, that that's what you would have done if the Kilmarnock offer hadn't come in you would have you would have ended up coming back or, or do you think you would have you would have hung in there and one way or the other made it work uh, well, listen, I found out uh, I found out after um, I'd left uh, non-league Fisher Clinic that uh, a number of clubs came in and approached, approached the club to sign me anyway. Um, now, I never knew about this until afterwards. Um, I know Millwall tried to re-sign me um, when Steve Claridge was the manager. Um, a couple of people reached out to me, actually, and said they heard that Millwall had re-signed you. Looking back now, I was only 20 years of age, and I said, oh, I haven't heard that. Then I get a phone call from someone else at Millwall saying, oh, I think Millwall are interested in you and I never followed up on it. Um, now, I wasn't under contract at uh, Fisher. It was just a gentleman's agreement sort of a thing. So it was no professional contract signed and I could have left at any stage I wanted to. Um, and I know that another couple of clubs, uh, Stevenage assistant manager became Fisher's assistant manager the year after. And uh, he said to me, they tried to sign me three times the year before and I turned them down all three times. It was the first time I heard of it. So the club so, weren't telling you about this, obviously? The club, no, the club weren't telling me that uh, I was um, a couple of clubs. And when I did say, listen, I sorted out the uh, move to Kilmarnock uh, separately from Fisher. And when I said that to um, the chairman, he listed a, about six, seven, eight clubs he said I could have gone to. Um, he could have got me to more or less, but I probably I found out that they were the ones that actually had um, inquired about me in the first place. And why did he tell so, you then at that point? That sounds was, a bit strange to mention that as you were going. Was he trying to stick it to you there a I little bit or he, something? I think he was. Well, I think he, w- he wanted me to stay. And listen, you could go to these clubs if that's what you want. Like, and I says, no, I have my mind made up. I'm going to go to Scotland. Um, a, a teammate of mine who happened to be on contract, he was the only one at the club that was on contract, um, got a move to Watford. And he went and trained at Watford for the month of January. 
Um, this was what we were in the Premier League before they got relegated the last time it was 2004 I think um, 2000, oh no, probably about 2006 or seven. I think it was at this stage and um, Watford actually agreed a hundred grand uh, transfer fee with Fisher for uh, Damien and um, the chairman last minute said he wanted 250 grand and Watford pulled out of the deal so the young lad ended up then just saying I'm not playing football anymore um, didn't play for six months until um, his contract ran out and then he went and signed for another non-league team and then ended up going to Southend or Rushton and Diamonds I think it was so right. um, it, can, it, can, it can be tough in that regard but listen again I only wanted to play football and when I got the opportunity to go to Scotland then I had seven and a half uh, years up in Scotland that I really enjoyed and um, I, that, I never really got to the stage where I thought no listen I'm going to chuck it and, and go home and just give up the only thing that sort of uh, made me think like that was um, with the injuries that I had towards the latter uh, part of my career in Scotland and just on that that subject there you talk about I mean you were impacted by it your, your teammate who was about to go to Watford was impacted by it is there any it's not something that, I, that I'd heard of too often I suppose you're looking at an, a non-league situation where you know presumably you know you're, I don't know are agents involved at that level at all presumably if they are they're not as common so is there any kind of obligation on the club at all to, to tell you if, if there's anybody coming in for you or is it just it's if they feel like it they let you know otherwise they'll just keep it to themselves um, I don't know again listen back then um, I wouldn't have had an agent I don't even think Damien had someone working for him like that after um, the move was sort of like Watford said he wanted to have a look at him and when he trained and they said he wanted to give him a contract I think that's when an agent would probably say listen I'll sort the deal out for you but uh, I don't know listen again um, I don't know what the rules are back then if they were obliged to tell us um, was someone coming in for us or or what not um, I have no idea I think the chairman was asking for money for us even if we weren't on contract which was probably the reason why he never opened his mouth in regards to um, letting us know who came in for us or, or what not because he was protecting the club because they wanted a transfer fee mm. um, but again it's, 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 listen we're going back there 17 mm. years ago or 16 years ago whatever it is now at this stage so um, these things happen you just got to get on with it and go again yeah and it didn't work out too badly for you in the end just go back to the, the, the mental strength side of things again if, if you can you remember a, a negative incident in your career that maybe made you made you prepare better for this for the next setback because i suppose we've all had instances in our lives where we react a certain way and a lot of time you're reacting straight you know off emotion like if i presented a, a hypothesis to yourself about a situation you would probably be able to tell me how you'd react to it i would be able to do the same everybody would but it might not always necessarily be the best way to react and when you look back on things afterwards you go well maybe i should have done that differently was there ever an incident in your career where you were able to look back on a previous sort of similar incident and and kind of think to yourself right i'm going to be a little bit cuter about this time around because last time around i reacted a certain way and it didn't work out too well for me i've obviously learned in in regards to when i've been management uh, in management with draw that uh i've said a few things after games or spoken to officials and they heat a moment for uh instance i've ended up being punished for it and it's certainly something that i have improved on and again i'm sort of what do you get out of it what's the reward for saying what you're going to say or putting your point across and um if you try and strip the emotion away and I don't know, as you said there, it's 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 very hard to do, like but if you can initially get past that first reactionary instance, uh, where you want to say something and just hold yourself and then when you actually analyse it you'll say, Well what's the what's the benefit of saying what I'm gonna say here? Um the punishment far outweighs what any benefit if there is anything at all you're gonna get out of it. So 
that's one one thing that I've, I certainly want to improve on going forward and continue improving on. I think I have made uh, changes in how I behave. Um, as a manager, I know I have to improve even more, but uh, it, it's all a learning curve, and um, it is definitely something that I, I am I'm trying to improve on. Like. You touched on the brief interaction with the sports psychologist all those years ago. Was that the only time you, you dealt with one, or, or have you have kind of crossed paths with any sports psychologists in the la- more recent years? Because, of course, they're you know they wouldn't have maybe maybe that common fifteen years ago, but up until now, certainly they seem to be kind of very very prominent in in most teams. Is it something that you would have seen any more of since you've gotten a little bit older and since towards the end of your career, or even as you were manager? Um, no, personally, I, I haven't felt the need to. Um go and speak to anyone or like I'm certainly not uh, saying that that's I've never been in that situation and um, I think it's very important that uh, no matter how people are feeling whether it's a professional person or not they should um, open up and even just have a chat with someone um, I know the benefit of um, having sports psychologists or professional people in, in there is they know what to say and when to say and when to listen and they know the right information to give it to you um, give back to the person that's uh, looking for maybe advice or even just to get something off their chest um, but even even anybody I think it's if it's if it's they feel maybe they can't go and speak to a family member or um, even their club about it if it is someone independent then obviously it's massive benefits for for that individual never mind in regards to football or anything else it's just their state of mind um, and then obviously their football benefit from that when they're, when they're a lot happier um, myself personally no I've not I've not felt um, the need to interact or speak to anyone um, as of yet and um, knowing that the options are there though it's uh, it certainly certainly helps you mentioned the you know the, we, as we started off with the, the worst day and that, that cup semi-final with Hibs but I think I'm right in saying you also missed the cup final with um, St. Johnston due to an Achilles injury that you got in training. Is that correct? Yeah, listen, I've, again, I went into St. Johnston more or less as cover because um, they had injuries and I knew I wasn't going to play many games. I only played four games for the club in the four or five months I was there and um, I was going to be on the bench, I think, for the final the next day. I was sorry, on the Sunday. We, last training session was on the Friday before we travelled to Glasgow um, and... I snapped my Achilles tendon um, right at the end of that session just before we were going to go in and do a few little five sides I was just messing about with the football next to um, Dave McKay was the captain and I just felt as if someone kicked me on the back of the leg and I looked at him and said did someone kick me and he, he sort of started laughing saying no and I said did a ball hit me and he said no and I said well, I've snapped my Achilles I just knew straight away the Achilles was snapped and that was obviously then uh, the severity of the situation it wasn't just I was missing a cup final I was sitting on the floor knowing that I was out of contract and uh the 30th of May that year that was the 17th so I was out of contract in less than two weeks and I knew that this injury would probably keep me out for the best part of nine months to 12 months so um, I sort of at that stage I was sitting there just before my 30th birthday a couple of weeks knowing that my professional career was over um, which wasn't obviously an easy thing and that was coming off the back of 18 months at Hibs where I was injured from the second I got there till the second I left so um, the last possibly maybe uh, two and then if you count the year that I missed the last three years before I came back to the League of Ireland was was pretty tough to deal with physically for myself and um, it was probably accelerated massively the, the decision for myself to come home back to Ireland 
Yeah, because I guess you know, just from listening to that, the, the fact that you you kind of under, underperformed in that cup semi final, but that that injury um, for St Johnson before a cup final, as you said there, you felt more or less kind of brought your career to a premature end. That must have been in a lot of ways more difficult than the than the cup semi final to deal with. Again, did you? Do you lean on a kind of support network around you? Do you just, like, I know a lot of people just say, look, this is what's, what's after happening. I have to deal with this myself. It, it, like, it must be, as, as we always say with sports people, like, they kind of die twice at the end of your, your, your natural uh, career. And then, obviously, we're all a little bit older, what awaits us all. Yeah. But did you, did you find that a hard thing to, to get over? Because when you don't get to the point where you say, right, this is me finished now, when it's kind of in, in, imposed upon you, whether, whether it's injury or whatever, it must be a, a difficult one to, to take. Um... Yeah, well, see, at that stage now, after the Hibs, um, the 18 months the Hibs, um, at that stage, our eldest daughter had uh, four different primary schools. Um, and then our second daughter, she had three different primary schools, I think, at that stage. So uh, myself and my, my wife made the decision that where, wherever she was moving next after Hibs is where we're going to set up for the rest of our life anyway. Um, it's where we wanted long term. Um, Alea was going to be going into secondary school, and we know that children like Morris make friends in secondary school and that's your friends for life more or less so we wanted them to have a bit of um, continuity in their life a bit of consistency where they were where they were growing up the same friends instead of changing every couple of years and my wife had actually moved back to Ireland at that stage um, after Hibs and I went back as well and then I came back over to St Johnson so I was living by myself over in the flat um, and I can remember I got to the it got to the day I snapped my Achilles and I rang my missus from uh, rang my wife from the physio bed and said listen I've snapped the Achilles and she just says listen it's time for you to come home just get a, get a, a real job as she said just go and get a job come back home like um, enough's enough like um, which like, <laughs> sort of probably not what I wanted to hear at that time no. probably what I had to hear as well she was of, probably delighted that you'd uh, done it it's the harsh well listen again no, she was well even in a, in a smaller scale I know it's, it's not all about finances but I probably missed out on the best part of 10,000 euro um, bonus from missing out and being on the bench on the game on the really? two days later like so um, financially obviously I didn't work then for I think 10 months 11 months um, I never had a way coming in uh, so that was very difficult as well and it's probably the other side of things that you don't you don't get to see. Um, I missed at Kilmarnock. I know I missed pre-season. I think I was there for four pre-seasons and I missed three of them through injury. Um, I spent, I think, seven months out one stage at Kilmarnock with uh, separated shin bones. I had to get screws put on them and I missed another, I think it was nearly six months with uh, a dislocated elbow where I snapped my tricep off. Um, so I had like long spells in my career where I picked up injuries and really peculiar ones um, that sort of kept me out for a long time um, and that was the frustrating part as well I probably never played nowhere near as many games as I probably should have in my career but uh, that's just the way it is but then again I've got an opportunity to go into management straight away so I can't really complain if I've um, been lucky enough to get that opportunity and I'm, I'm hoping now I can I can make a, a long career of management the way I did out of football yeah, it's only when you go through all the, the kind of setbacks and misfortunes you had there in, in all that t- sort of detail. I mean, I know we, we started off talking about the worst day, but the whole point of this conversation, I suppose, was to kind of focus in on, on how people get through these things, and especially when we consider the situation right at the minute. But clearly, 
whether you kind of uh, maybe acknowledge it or not or whether we kind of all realise it ourselves depending on what situation we're in there's obviously a a good degree of, of resilience and mental strength built up there in, for, in you that you've been able to kind of come through all these situations especially you know we, we read so many stories with players that have their careers cut short by injury and they really struggle whatever level they're playing at to, to, to get over it and to, to put it behind them but it seems like Tim you've you know I know you have the family there as well which is a massive help but it seems like you've kind of gotten over all these hurdles and you've kind of brushed yourself down and, and gotten on with things you haven't been dwelling too much on the past well I can't really it's Again, financially, I'm not in a position that uh, if I had played in the Premier League in England and maybe for a couple of million put away in the bank, that you can you can sit there and sort of not have to work and not have to focus, and you're still financially you're secure, and maybe then you're you're dealing with more demons because you've not no time on your hands and whatnot. But I'm not in that position. The second I retired, I had to get a go and get a job, and um, I've got to focus on bringing uh, money into the house to to feed the family and pay bills and whatnot so um, I just said about resilience I think everybody has that built into them um, it is what it is you got to get on with it and that's, that's that's the way I look at it and I do feel that uh, being inside the football bubble and a professional football I think um, I've spoken about this previously I think you give yourself this self elevate uh, elevate yourself and you think you're of some sort of stature because everybody wants to talk to you about football because that's everyone's sort of a lot of people's um, interest and hobby is they love football so you've got something there that they've always wanted and they're intrigued about it and they've maybe put you on a pedestal and I think people believe maybe some of that stuff themselves and when it comes crashing down then when they retire and all of a sudden the next day they're, they're not the footballer and the same fans that would have been interested in them are now interested in the players that are playing in the team um, you're quickly forgotten in football as well so I think that's a, a massive thing that people have to deal with and come to terms with and um, it's possibly a thing that uh, creates a lot of issues for people going forward and they might have lived up to a certain lifestyle for whatever year like especially the, the players on, on, on big money would have lived in big houses and drive fan, drove uh, fancy cars and for them to downsize then after 15 years of that and drive lesser maybe high spec cars and maybe that's a big issue for them and that can create problems and I know people will probably look at it and say it's first world problems but um I've never, I've never really been in that position where I've financially sort of benefited strongly from football, and I would have got paid a, a decent enough wage, but it was never anything that I was ever going to be able to retire on by the time I finished. So I sort of always knew the day was coming when I finished playing. I would have to be focused on trying to get in a job elsewhere anyway. Yeah, and I guess I suppose that's that's one way of keeping you grounded, as you said, you didn't ever have all those millions from playing in the Premier League and that kind of stuff. One final question then. You touched on it earlier on in terms of you know the, the young lads at Drogheda now and what you can pass on to them, but have the, the bad days that you experienced in your career and the bad games, does that give you a little bit more empty now when, when you are dealing with young lads that might have had a bad a bad day and how you kind of deal with that or do you do you still is the natural reaction still to let the emotions run away which do you have to kind of check yourself sometimes and go right well I've had days like this as well and I know how bad I felt after it so and that kind of informs how you deal with with the players in the dressing room yourself yeah again I'm a very inexperienced manager I've only a couple of years under my belt and um, I've said things after games full of emotion and um I've reflected on it then and analysed it over the weekend and when I get back to the group on the Sunday morning or the for training on Monday night like normal um, I'll address the group beforehand and if I think I've gone over the top I'll speak to my staff about it and I'll get their advice to see if they think it went over the top and if it may be a bit harsh on someone after a mistake or a performance um, 
I'll say it in front of the whole group and I'll apologise and um, I'll be a lot more understanding then on the Monday and it is listen there's there's an old saying a week's a hell of a long time in football um, you could be down in the dumps one week and then by the time the next week comes around um, you could end up being the hero I know Chrissy Lyons at one stage last year was struggling in front of the goal um, to get a goal and he was doing everything bar score and we were pulling our hair out and then we ended up going out to Kevin Teeley and uh, they were top of the league at the time I think and Chris scored after a couple of minutes and ended up getting a hat-trick and since then he's he's been scoring regular so um, things change very quickly and uh, you have to listen again you have to allow for especially with a young squad that there's going to be inconsistency and if someone has a poor performance you've got to try and get around them and get sort of encourage them and get their confidence up and not let them drop their head and there'll be many more uh, good days ahead Absolutely, Tim. Well, listen, thanks so much for being our very first guest on My Worst Day podcast. We hope we haven't uh, opened up too many old old sores for you there. And it's very no, good to kind of, it's I very know, good to hear how, how, how everyone kind of deals with these sort of situations of adversity and how they come through on the other side. So thanks so much for taking the call and going through uh, some of your more, uh, I suppose, harder to forget days. No, not at all. Um, actually, listen, even the days when you finish playing and you retire, it's... Uh, even the bad days you don't want to forget you want to remember every game you played and um, I can remember I can remember sitting down uh, speaking to someone at Millwall who was an experienced player at the time and he said to me I think I was 18 or 19 he says just enjoy every bit of it because your career will be over before you know it and I thought yeah alright like another 15, 16 years playing and <laughs> the career goes past very very quickly so um, take the take the good with the bad and enjoy both of them Absolutely, that's the way. That's the way to look at it, and I think certainly uh, we can all relate to that at this point in time. Thanks so much, Tim. No bother. Yes, Tim Clancy, there our third guest on my worst day with myself, David Sheehan. Really interesting stuff from Tim there in terms of how he dealt with being away from home. Didn't really seem to bother him. Didn't really seem to suffer from any homesickness. Also interesting to hear about his interaction with the sports psychologist, which wasn't something that he really got a whole lot of value out of. I suppose everyone's different and some players will take more from it than others, but interesting that his experience of sports psychology all those years ago kind of coloured his view of it going forward. So really good stuff from Tim Clancy there, and I'm sure he's really getting uh, excited about the restart of the League of Ireland season. Drogheda, of course, back in training now this last week or so, and hoping uh, to get promotion to the Premier Division finally again this season after coming so close the last two years. We do wish them well with that. So that's just about it from this episode of My Worst Day with myself, David Sheehan. Thanks once again for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of it. Do join us then. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 